0: superscription excuse me the statement above verse 1 a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba he has committed adultery Bathsheba is pregnant and then he engineered the murder the battlefield murder of her son Uriah the Hittite Uriah is listed later in Towards at the end of David's life, the, at the end of the biography of David, it lists all the mighty men of valor. The last name on the list, I believe, is forty men, is Uriah the Hittite. Uriah wasn't just some guy; he was a mighty man of valor. And David engineered his murder so he could cover up his adultery. How did that work out? Didn't happen. And so here is David, the king of Israel, guilty of adultery, guilty of murder. What does the law of Moses say? Put this guy under two piles of rocks. That's what it says. Now, some people might superficially conclude, well, that didn't happen because he's king. Who's going to do that? If David was behaving just according to the law of Moses and righteousness, he should have stepped forward and said, go find your men and go find the rocks. Here I am. Why? That's not what happened. Nathan came and rebuked him. And he accepted the rebuke. And what did he do? He repented. Let me introduce a concept here many of you have heard the word dispensationalism a lot of people don't even know what that means and there are some people who are authentic christians who say well i'm not a dispensationalist i have a every monday morning i get together with two or three other pastors and one of these pastors is about four or five months ago he said well i'm not a dispensationalist and i said do you still sacrifice animals no then you're a dispensationalist (laughs) All the concept of dispensationalism is, is that God either changes the format for how the kingdom will operate or adds to that format another layer. What happened in the history of Israel? When does the history of Israel, as we understand it, begin? With Genesis chapter 12, the call of Abraham. When God called Abraham, he initiated a new feature of how he administered his kingdom that will last forever. One of the marks of that is in Genesis chapter 15, three chapters later, God had given to Abraham and to Sarah a promise. I will give you a son who will be your heir. And when he's about 90 years old and Sarah's about 80 years old, he comes to God in Genesis chapter 15 and he says, God, (laughs) where's this promised son? Right now, if I were to die, Eliezer of Damascus, my chief servant, Would be the heir of everything I have. And God said. And it was at night. Abram step out of your tent. And look at the heavens. Abram did that. And he said if you can count the stars. You can count the number of your own descendants. And Abram believed God. To solve his unsolvable problem. And it was accounted to him. For righteousness. The apostle Paul picks up that principle and applies it to the gospel what is our unsolvable problem we are sinners before a holy God and there is no way I can solve that problem I can't get myself from the place of condemnation to the place of perfect welcome with a holy God I just can't get that done but God can And, of course, we know how he did it because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus solved that problem. He took the place I deserved on the cross. You and I deserved to be nailed to that cross. Not only that, we deserved, and everyone who is eternally in the lake of fire will only be getting what is just. God cannot be unfair. It's constitutionally impossible for him. It is absolute perfect justice for people who rejected mercy. 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 About three days ago, my wife and I were in Morrison Supply up on Paschal Street. We were getting a new pan to go under our air conditioning system in our attic because the one that was up there had started to rust out, and we had drips through the ceiling. And I went in there, Ginny and I went in there, and I'm talking to the guy behind the counter who really knew his stuff. And I said, I'm just so thankful to God that he directed me to you. And he kind of lifted his eyebrow. And, uh, And I said, I really mean that. God direct me to you. And by the way, to me, the most important word of all in relationship with God, is the word mercy, and he nodded. This guy was a believer, and he lifted the eyebrow, and then he nodded. Amen. Amen. Mercy, mercy, mercy. What did Abraham receive in Genesis 15? The promise of mercy to solve his unsolvable problem that he and Sarah couldn't have children. And it was another ten years before it happened. But he believed God to solve his unsolvable problem. What do I do? I believe that God has solved my unsolvable problem in the cross of Christ. And let's see, that's about uh, 2000 B.C. And it was about 1440 B.C. that Israel comes out of Egypt. The Exodus take place takes place and they go to Mount Sinai and they receive on top of that Abrahamic covenant they receive the law of Moses the law of Moses didn't replace anything it was a layer added to the top of the promises that they had from God and the ultimate one of the primary purposes of the law of Moses there's no salvation in the law of Moses out of the law of Moses comes one thing condemnation condemnation. As the Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans, this is a Pharisee. This is a law keeper. I mean, that was his whole orientation as a Jew, was keeping the law. And what does he say in the book of Romans? You know, I could fake, I'm kind of paraphrasing, I could fake keeping the Ten Commandments. Commandments one through nine. People looking at my Pharisee life could say, okay, he's kept those The one that slew me, he says, the one that slew me was number 10 because it internalizes the first night. You shall not covet your neighbor's lands, wife, servants, property. Ah, don't do that to me, God. What did it do to Paul? It drove him to Jesus. When he was on his face before the gates of Damascus, on his face, that Jesus knocked him down onto his face. One of the things that Jesus said to him, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. You're like an ox kicking against that pointed stick that the driver is using to direct you. What was the goad? I think there were two goads that we know of in Paul's life. He had heard that sermon and is recorded in Acts 7 of Stephen. And he held the coats of those who stoned Stephen to death. And the second goad was commandment number 10. You shall not covet and Paul knew himself better than anybody else did all the other Pharisees would have said oh Paul he is the I mean if you look a Pharisee in the dictionary there's going to be his his face yeah he's our star no what does David say you see the, lo- the law of Moses condemned David but what was the law of Moses designed to do it was designed to drive them back to the the principle of Genesis 15. Lord, I've got an unsolvable problem. You have to solve it. Psalm 15.1, every Christian ought to have this memorized. Psalm 15.1, have mercy on me, O God. It's very important for us to understand the attributes of God. god is omniscient he knows every detail of everything jesus said that which is whispered in the homes that which is done in secret will be announced from the housetops and i god know of every act and word and thought he is omniscient He knows the flight of every molecule in his universe. He is omnipotent. He has all power. Nothing can be withheld from him. He holds the universe in the span of his hand. He is omnipresent. He is present with Courtney. He never takes his focus off of Courtney, never 24 hours a day, seven days a week. His focus is on her, but it's also on us. We don't know anybody else like God. He can be focused on every single one of us without any restraint, totally, completely. And it doesn't mean that he's sacrificing focus on anybody else or anything else. And he is focused on us for our, for our good. But if we're going to select an attribute of God that is supreme above all others, it's mercy. Because if it weren't for that, we would have no hope at all. He but it not only does he have mercy, the Bible says he loves mercy. He loves mercy. Have mercy on me, O God. So what does David do? This law of Moses condemns me. I think I'll jump back to Genesis 15 for God to solve my unsolvable problem. By the way, the law of Moses, according to Numbers 15, if you commit any sin purposely, presumptuously, the text will say, deliberately, there is no you can't go to the temple and... uh, There is no adultery sacrifice. A pile of rocks... That's the response to adultery. There is no murder sacrifice. Pile of rocks. That's the response, according to the law of Moses. But what does David know that takes precedence over? The law of Moses is designed to drive us to mercy. It's a diagnostic tool. It's not curative. Have mercy upon me, O God. I love this. According to your loving kindness, your loving loyalty. You mean God is loyal to sinners who have just defied him? Yeah. Yes. Yes, he is. Exactly. If he were not we'd all be thrown in hell. That is what he is like. Loving kindness, the Hebrew word is chesed, and it means loving loyalty. When we're disloyal to him, he remains loyal to us. When our little children do something that is not according to the household rules, we may discipline them, but we don't throw them out the front door. Have mercy, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. The multitude of your tender mercies. I'm telling you what, folks. Memorize the verse, okay? Let God minister to you. Thank you, God, that you are like that. what you are like. Thank you, God, that you're merciful to me, more merciful to me than I would be to myself. Last night at the man church meeting I mentioned to the guys right at the close I said you know you you guys can be very grateful that I'm not God (laughs) because if I were God this earth would look like a billiard ball (laughs) it would have been wiped clean a long time ago including of me God loves mercy Lucifer does not want you to understand that He wants us to understand that there is an end to God's mercy, and that is a bald-faced, and he knows it, lie. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. This is all cried out in anticipation of what Jesus is going to do 1,000 years in the future. David reigned from 1040 B.C. to 1000 B.C. This is a thousand years or more before Christ does his work on the cross. But in the same way that we look back on the cross, and as we say in the Lord's Supper, in taking the broken body of Christ in the matzah, the broken bread, And in drinking the cup, this is blood is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. They weren't remembering it. They were looking forward to it. For I acknowledge my transgressions. Lord, I'm not trying to hide anything. I'm being as honest with you about my behavior, my mindset, the condition of my heart as I can possibly be. Be And my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. I can remember the first time I read that, I said, what what are you talking about? What about Bathsheba? What about Uriah the Hittite? What do you mean against God and God only? And what he did with Bathsheba and what he did to Uriah, it was ultimately doing it to God. Because we are all image bearers of God. What we do to another human being. God takes it personally. Against you. You only I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Lord I will not when you come at me with the, with the declaration of what I have done as you just did with Nathan the prophet. I'm not going to argue with you. You got it right. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. I was born a sinner. He's not talking about the circumstances of his birth. David was the eighth son of Jesse and his wife. There's nothing about the circumstances of his conception or birth. What he simply is saying is i was born a sinner when i came out of that womb i already was had been for nine months i carry the fallen nature of that adam caused to be become part of us i was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me i was already iniquitous i was already sinful i was bent towards sin Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. You don't want us to live superficial lives before you, but you want us to live lives from within us before you. And in the hidden parts, you will make me to know wisdom. You will instruct my spirit. You will instruct my soul. You don't ask for superficiality. You're not satisfied with superficiality. Why? Why is not God just, okay, that's enough. Did it? Because he loves us so much. He wants us to enjoy intimacy with him. That requires integrity, truth inside of us as well as in our actions and stated words. One of the, I, I just love this last night. Again, Man Church, we're in John chapter 10. And Jesus says, To the people present I know you I know you And you know me And I know the Father And the Father knows me Put that all together. The level of intimacy. I, I know you better than you know yourself by far. And I still love you. I'm still committed to you. I'm still your good shepherd. I want to be your good shepherd. And you know me. Well, Lord, yeah, I know you. But the only restraint on our knowing him better is where? In us we can choose the level of our intimacy with God. And what's the standard of measure on what that intimacy looks like, that knowledge? The Father knows me and I know the Father. This is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit with eternal intimacy, internal, perfect. now three, one God, three persons, perfect knowledge of one another, outrageous, fantastic, deep, loving, joyful fellowship. If you don't have that, the restraint is in you. See this book right here? Who wrote this? God, the Holy Spirit. Read it. Read it. Study it. Ask God the Holy, and then do it. Believe it. Put it into your life. He is the good shepherd. You desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. I will begin to walk in wisdom. (coughs) I'll stop making those dumb decisions that characterize my former life. How would that be? Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. What is hyssop? Hyssop was a shrub, but it has specific use in the religious ceremonies under the law of Moses. As Israel stood before Mount Sinai, for example, and they've received the law, and they're reciting these words over and over and over again. All the Lord has said we will do. All the Lord has said we will do. All the Lord has said we will do. Moses has a basin of bull's blood, and he has a hyssop sprig, and he's dipping it in the blood and sprinkling the blood on everybody. Whenever they sprinkled in, whenever they sprinkled the altar in the tabernacle and later the temple was always the hyssop sprig that they used so he's not saying beat me with a stick he's saying cover me with blood cover me with the blood well whose blood the son of god the son on the cross purge me with hyssop and i shall be clean Not I hope to be, I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness. All joy and gladness is departed from me. In another one of the Psalms, he describes himself during this period of time. I felt like my bones were being broken. Month after month after month, as I abided in unrepentance, I felt like my bones were being broken. I was oppressed. I was in darkness. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones that you have broken may rejoice. <sighs> what feels better than pain that you had being gone? <laughs> Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart And renew a steadfast spirit within me. You know, one of the things the accuser of the brethren, Lucifer, does, he seeks to do, I should say, is to stand on your right shoulder and keep whispering in your ear, reminding you of your sin, reminding you of your sin. He is the accuser of the brethren, he's the accuser of the brethren. And he will remind you and remind you and remind you. And your answer is go pound sand, pal. Jesus paid for that. And you do it over and over and over until in frustration he just gives up. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me now during that era let me back up all believers in christ today at the instant we come to faith in christ god the holy spirit takes up residence within us that's called being born again but then we also have the supply of the spirit special acts the gifts of the spirit and so forth in the old testament era the holy spirit did not abide in the believers commonly kings sometimes priests pretty much all the time priests sometimes but the holy spirit could Come upon you and dwell within you for a specific act, for a specific purpose, and then be withdrawn. The whole, when Saul became king of Israel, the Holy Spirit took up residence within him. But when David, if you read the account, when David was anointed, Saul had already been told that God was going to take the kingdom away from his dynasty. He was going to be the only member of his family ever to sit on the throne. When David, as a boy, was anointed to be king in Bethlehem, the Bible says at that time, God the Holy Spirit departed from Saul and came upon David. And so it was a live option for God to remove his Holy Spirit that was resident in David for power. He could remove that Holy Spirit. And David said, please don't do that. Please don't do to me what you did do to Saul. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I shall teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. I will not be the exception, I will be the rule. And I'm not the first that has cried out to you for mercy and found it. I'm not the first. 300 years later in Isaiah 55 when Israel excuse me Judah the southern kingdom Israel has already been taken into captivity by the Assyrians but God comes to Judah very 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 sinful Judah this is about 700 BC about 300 years later they think they have out sinned God's willingness or ability to forgive and God says to them in Isaiah 55 Come to me, you who have empty pockets. You have no money. Come, buy and eat. Well, how do you buy if you don't have any cash? The price tag has to say free. And then he says to them, I have given to you the sure mercies of David. Follow him as your captain. That man who died 300 years ago, follow him as your captain to the sure mercies. What's he saying? Go back and read Psalm 51. Can I forgive? Do I still love mercy? Of course I do. Believe me, not Satan. I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. And 300 years later, God is reminding them of that. And I would dare say that David bore fruit 300 years after he died. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, murder, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness, of your righteousness, of your righteousness. And a lot of people, wait a minute, would that be righteousness to forgive? Yes, because Jesus will bear his sin on the cross, and David is depending on that event yet future. And so God can righteously forgive us. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. I haven't been able to speak about you in anybody's presence for months and months. Open my mouth, and I will show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. I mentioned a few minutes ago, Numbers chapter 15, where God says, You know, these sacrifices that you're making, those are only for accidental sin. Like walking across a grave and defying yourself. It's only for ritual uncleanness. It's not for the real stuff. Then what's the point? So that you will get the point and run to mercy. Mercy. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. There is no murder sacrifice. There is no adultery sacrifice. I can't offer a burnt offering. The only sacrifice that you take delight in, as we read in Isaiah 53, the only one that you heed is the forthcoming death of your son. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. The only part I can play in it is when the Holy Spirit condemns me, I agree. And the broken heart that comes from acknowledging the truth is displayed before you do good in your good pleasure what's the ultimate outcome he's king of israel what happens to him has a national effect do good in your good pleasure to zion build the walls of jerusalem so often people think well i can sin you know it's just, it's only going to affect me no our personal sin affects everybody do good in your good pleasure design build the walls of jerusalem then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness i'll be able to walk into the temple and present a thank offering to you those are the righteous sacrifices <coughs> a lot of people who weren't righteous tried to offer those righteous sacrifices and i would dare say the priest who didn't know one thing from another about the reality of this person's inner man or inner woman They did it, but was God pleased? No. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then they shall be offered bulls on your altar. And that the sacrifice of the bull was often what accompanied the thank offering. when you were giving praise to God for being like what he was like and granting you deliverance. Aren't we glad that God is like what he is like and that he is not like us? Our Lord, mercy Mercy, mercy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And you don't just welcome us into your kingdom, and then tell us to sit in the back row. You don't you don't w- just welcome us into your throne room and tell us to sit on the back row or stand at the back with our walls our backs against the wall. No. You invite us onto that crystal pavement that represents a complete welcome in your presence. And you greet us with a grin. You greet us with arms wrapped around us. And it absolutely blows our mind that you are like what you are like. And we are so grateful because you are exactly the God we need. We ask that you would truly give us hearts to receive with the Holy Spirit and walk in what the Holy Spirit presented to us. We ask this of you, mighty King Jesus, and all God's people said, Amen.